Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Stuttering Springboard. This episode we have Sarah Vogel, who is a senior speech language pathologist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. She has worked at CHOP for over 20 years where, where she helps children and teens who stutter. In this a deep podcast, Sarah shares her thoughts on the past, present, and hopes for the future of stuttering therapy. Her, mes- her message to college-bound kids who, who stutter is focus on your, sh- your, 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 your strengths. Her message to recent college graduates who are ref- re- re- reflecting on their options is strength in numbers. Surround yourself with other people who stutter and learn to make friends with your stutter. Chasing 100% fluency is a frustration approach. Learn to open stutter and stutter better. Get off the the sidelines and into the game. Thank you, Jack. Welcome to the Stuttering Podcast, the Springboard Podcast. My name is Brian Nolan. Uh, I'm, I'm the founder of the Nolan Stuttering Foundation and the Springboard Podcast, where we look to help younger people spring to the next level um, from eighth grade to high school and high school to college and college into a professional world and then continuing uh, the journey that they're on of acceptance of of stuttering and of not letting stuttering stop them from being whatever it is that they were meant to be and want to be. And today I've got... uh, I've got a guest that uh, I've been so looking forward to uh, talking with because um, she she works closely hand in hand uh, with Joe Donaher, Dr. Donaher. Sarah Vogel is a pediatric speech and language pathologist in Philadelphia at Children's Hospital, where she's been for over 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, where she works with teens and, and children on communication disorders. Her uh, specialties include stuttering, as well as childhood apraxia of speech and early identification of autism spectrum disorder. Uh, She attended the University of Wisconsin in Madison and did a graduate work at Northwestern. Uh, Earlier in her career, she completed a intensive training in Iowa with the uh, Stuttering Foundation. She's implemented multiple one-day workshops with with friends in Philadelphia and recently completed uh, what is becoming known as ARTS, which is avoidance reduction therapy uh, with uh, someone I need to get on the podcast too, Vivian Siskin, who I've heard lots about and she always tries to learn as a professional and as as a person. Sarah, I'm so glad to have you on. Welcome. I've I've been in sessions with you and now I have you one-on-one. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's so good to be here. I love listening to the podcast and I'm 
honored to be your guest today. Honor is ours. Yeah. Honor is ours. Uh, so let, let's go back uh, to, to what made you decide to become an SLP uh, and how, and, and then how, how did you pick, pick uh, this, this topic of fluency and stuttering um, as a focus area? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and when I started college, I think I just thought I want to be a teacher because I want to work with kids. And my sophomore year of college, um, I, I was talking to my roommate and I thought, I, I don't know if I want to be in charge of a classroom, but I want to work with kids. And she said, oh, my, my aunt's a speech therapist. She works with kids. And, you know, back then we had a ginormous binder to look up courses. And I looked up the courses for communication sciences and I thought, all right, those sound interesting. I'll take the courses. And um, it's a good thing I loved it because they're not really applicable to other majors, but I loved the courses and I just felt like, I, you know, I finally found something I really enjoyed learning about. And that was the beginnings of um, learning about speech and language development and getting on a track to become a speech language pathologist. And then in um, graduate school at Northwestern University, I, um, in my fluency course, one of the projects that I chose to do was to look at how stuttering is portrayed in the media. Um, mm. That was, you know, 20 some years ago. And really the, the project just unveiled how poorly stuttering was portrayed in the media. Um, and that, that resonated with me a lot. And the little bit of coursework I had on stuttering, which we'll talk about more a little later, um, I just I just was fascinated to learn about it. And then when I, my first job, my current job, I've always worked at CHOP. Um, always been at CHOP. I've always been at CHOP. I, mm -hmm, I went, I came right to CHOP. I did my fellowship here. Um, and Joe was my, like my preceptor in my fellowship. And so once I was working with Joe, you know, his passion for stuttering is quite contagious. So um, oh. I did some, you know, early um, research with him um, on stuttering. That was part of my fellowship. And I just, um, I just really found it an area that I, I loved learning about and engaging with children and their families. And that's, that's how I, that's how I got here. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm so intrigued with, with how stuttering therapy is changing mm -hmm. and how it's changing for when I was a kid and uh, even, even two decades ago when you, you graduated how how are how are you seeing it evolve? Is it evolving fast enough? And how how can we do a better job at um, educating other speech pathologists about um, the multidimensional complexities of stuttering? Yeah, yeah. I think no. I don't think it's evolving fast enough. I think it's slow. Um, I think that the experts in the field have have always had a grasp of treating the whole person and not just the stutter, but the training um, for speech therapists, I think is, is evolving slowly. So 20 years ago, when I was in graduate school, my training revolved a lot around the behaviors of stuttering. So we all learn early on as speech therapists that you treat the ABCs, the affective, the feelings, the, the B is the behavior, the speech behaviors, 
and the C is the the cognitive, the the understanding mm -hmm. and the grasp of what stuttering is in general and what your own stuttering is. So those are the ABCs. But historically and even currently, most speech language pathologists focus on the behaviors, the stuttering. Um, and my training 20 years ago was very heavily focused on um, dissecting the data of a speech sample. So a block, a prolongation, a word repetition, a part word repetition. And we spent a lot of time in graduate school just analyzing the data and percentages of disfluencies and stutters in a speech sample, um, which is very important as a foundation, but it's a very small piece of, of what you need to gather and work with. Um, and then as a treatment, we learned um, it's called ERASM, um, easy, relaxed approach to smooth movement. Um, and that's, <laughs> so that was the gold standard of training. You know, huh. as soon as I got to CHOP, Joe said, oh yeah, what's ERASM? Like people who are in the field know that that's the terminology at Northwestern for um, shaping fluency. And so we would practice in our, in our graduate courses with each other, that, um, that style of speaking, which is, I would like a hamburger and French fries. And that's what we were taught. This is what you teach in therapy is ERASM. And people will talk with that easy, relaxed approach to smooth movement. Um, and so I think of that as 20 years ago. And then I want to contrast it with um, what's more currently what we do is to focus and um, become more comfortable with the stutter. So like working on voluntary stuttering and, you know, I think graduate students now more commonly, they might practice some fluency shaping like that, but they also practice stuttering. Um, you know, the first time a person who doesn't stutter is told to stutter, they feel very awkward. It's- Oh, you kidding me? I mean, I, I remember the first time Joe and I were, were together and he was with my sons and he, he said, let's practice stuttering. I was mm -hmm. like, no, no, you don't say, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I can't, I, I, I spent my life trying not to stutter. Yep, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, it seems so counterintuitive, but it is, yeah. uh, you know, it's to me that kind of exemplifies how we evolved from a focus on fluency to a focus on com comfort and, and choices you have when you're speaking. So, um, you know, now I think the shift is more on acceptance, self-advocacy. I think there's a lot, there's a lot better uh, media attention than there used to be around um, stuttering and the importance of being a good listener when you're talking to someone who stutters. Um, and this year when I was at Friends, I, I had a great moment that was such a contrast to that ERASM and I think shows where the field is going. Um, and that is, they have a portion of the conference where kids who stutter do stuttering contests. They see which adults can stutter the best. And all the adults are in small groups and the kids circulate to the groups and they teach the adults what's a block, what's a prolongation, what's a repetition. And they have the adults do it. Um, and 
So they gave me a block and I, I did a block and the kids rated me as a 10 on a scale of 10. Nice. So that I felt really good. proud. Like, um, so so uh, help, me, help us understand what a good stutter is. What's so, a good stutter? I mean, I guess it depends on who you're talking to, but in the stuttering contest, I think a good stutter is a stutter that is 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 real is really having some tension so you know a, a stutter that some some of the parents would do that maybe they haven't done it as much they're not as comfortable they say mama mama my name is sally and you know the kids are like oh, yeah, that's, a six, that's a seven um but but for me i think a good stutter is to get into that feeling of what a child who stutters might experience. So mm, mm, my name is Sally. And that was good. That was a 10. Thank you. So thank you. And I and I will say, I that's not something I ever did in my graduate training. I feel like, you know, and now I think that is part of graduate training. And I think that that is that is how the field is changing and evolving to get in the moment of the stutter, get comfortable there and um, and make it real. And when I'm with when I have a new child or teenager I'm working with, often I feel like genuinely I, I need them to show me how they stutter and I need to be able to put it in my mouth to to try and help understand and, and help them huh. um, it's a two-way street. And what, you, and what you're dealing with is kids who don't want to show you their stutter. Mm -hmm. They they want to do everything but show you their stutter. Yeah, yeah. Want to switch yeah. words or just not talk or wait wait until they feel like it can come out before yeah. they talk. Yeah. And you, you can't help them if you can't hear their stutter. Right, yeah. And is some of this um, getting, having kids or adults who stutter get comfortable hearing themselves stutter mm -hmm. and not feel not feel not feel shame mm -hmm. and just get used to hearing themselves stutter because mm -hmm. um, that's that's something that uh, we we avoid like we talk about hearing yourselves on a recording right what's that going to be like well now hearing yourself stutter on recording oh my gosh that's mortifying yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I think it's 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 hard work and it's so different for everyone. So uh, you know, um, yeah. And I think in therapy, not not every child and teenager can can do that so quickly. So sometimes they that's part of the therapy. Is I want I want call it audible here. This question a little risky, uh, but you know we were told at a young age. I, I still I still remember. I, I just said this recently too on a podcast that. Stuttering is not curable. It's it's controllable, but it's not curable. Um, is that a a general truth, or is it in fact something that with a lifetime of work is curable, or or maybe maybe curable is a strong word, um, a un, unnoticeable, un, unimpactful, no longer a impediment. Yeah. Just thought on that. It's it's a great question. I think I do I do agree. I as far as I know, there is no cure, um, and I think controllable. Um, I I think I would choose the word manageable um, because yeah. I feel like some of the training. Um, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit later about the arts 
training and theory is um, really more about freedom and being able to manage and um, make choices for speaking experiences that are positive, that mm -hmm. are not so focused on control per se or mm -hmm. cure. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I'm sure you deal with when a parent brings a child to see you, they're, they're thinking that through, through therapy mm -hmm. is curable. And yes. so some of the education, which is why I, I continue bringing it up on, on these podcasts, is to educate uh, parents that yeah. the manageable part of it, um, and, and the key is, is helping your kids become happy and helping them yeah. become um, or get off the sidelines. As I say, a lot of us who stutter spend some time on the sideline watching and yeah. like, can I get in the game? Can I get in the game? Yeah. Be able to play the game with my speech, whatever the game is. Mm -hmm. Game could be even yeah. raising my hand in class when I know the answer. That's the game. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to raise my hand, even though I, I know the answer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the sideline is a, is a brutal place to be brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and it is, it is a really hard, it's a hard thing to talk about with parents. I mean, with, with preschoolers, I mean, with that, with anyone, but I do, I do work a lot with preschoolers and their parents. And that is a part of the conversation that I, I don't have a cure. I don't have a guarantee for fluency, but I do believe that therapy and engagement with the community can foster success with communication. That that's, that's what I want. I want communication to be successful. And so a lot of that means we have to think very carefully about what is our measure of success. I think if the measure is fluency, then it's tricky. It's if tricky. the measure is you get off the sideline, well, then you do have a little more control because yeah. you can That's choose. That's the goal. Yeah. Get, get in the game. Yes. And, I mean, life yeah. becomes better in, in the game. Yes. You, know, yes. you can manage it in the game when you're mm -hmm. just watching, you're making up all kinds of stories about mm -hmm. how terrible it's going to go. Yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes one of the first things we'll do with, um, with kids, teens too, but kids is, you know, whatever is the feared situation. All right, let's walk through what's the best, worst, probable outcome. You know, the best outcome is the kid's always going to say, I, I say it without stuttering, you know? The yeah. worst outcome is I stutter and everyone laughs at me and I'm embarrassed and I feel horrible. And the probable is I'll probably stutter a little and it will probably be okay. Because um, I'll, I'll know who my real friends are and I'll, I'll, I'll matriculate into life. And, yeah. and uh, the, the truth of the matter is everybody's got something. Mm -hmm. So let's put stuttering in context. Mm -hmm. to what everybody else's something is mm -hmm. as opposed to most of us stuttering is all comprehensive mm -hmm. it, like it, it is as 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 chris anderson says the stuttering lens mm -hmm. uh, prevails throughout every minute of every day mm -hmm. and that's the goal is to is to get the stuttering lens away yes yes to shift your focus to yeah. to something else another yeah. thing you know? yeah to uh, to content and what I want to say, yeah. not how I say it. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time these days researching this, this therapy called arts. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I don't pretend that I totally understand it. Mm -hmm. I understand enough 
to know that it's really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, yes. Hard emotionally. Uh, so we're talking about avoidance reduction therapy. Yes. Uh, can you can you tell us from your perspective how how you were trained on it, um, how it how how it works, and then how you're able to influence kids to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's well, that's the hard part. It's that is the it is it is very hard, and I it is um, relatively new for me, so I'm still learning it and implementing it. Um, but the training, so I did the training actually during COVID. It was virtual, um, and uh, Vivian Siskin runs the training, and it was a three day training, and it includes uh, Vivian runs the training, but she also has a group of her SLPs who run the training with her. Then she has SLPs who are learning the, the arts therapy. And then she has a lot of her clients who participate in arts therapy as people who stutter in the training to mm -hmm. co-facilitate with the SLPs to teach. It's very powerful. So the real. So real. The training was phenomenal. And I feel like the training almost kind of mirrors as an SLP, like what the, what it must feel like for someone who's participating in arts. It's the training was supportive. It was mm. individualized. You break out into groups. Um, there's a lot of learning growing and it, and it continues. So in a couple months, I'm going to attend like a, a check-in. They, they want to check in with all the SLPs who have done the training and talk about how's it going, what's working, what's not working. And it just, it's a very supportive training. Um, mm. And the, uh, the theory of arts really comes from the notion that most of the, the stutter itself and most of the speaking experience that becomes so negative is wrapped up in everything the person who stutters is doing to avoid the stutter and to avoid the speaking experience. And that the patterns of speech are largely all those tricks and um, things a person is doing to avoid stuttering. So avoidance reduction means reducing that avoidance. So unpacking the moment of stuttering to undo some of the tricks that are masking the open stutter. They talk a lot about open stuttering. Um, and, and you mentioned that earlier, that that's still hard for you. Um, and in the training, they have, people at different stages of arts therapy talking about it. And one man, Vivian had him call in. He had never done the therapy, but he was a new client and he agreed to be part of the training. And mm. live with all these people on the call, she taught him to open stutter. And mm. it was pretty phenomenal because she caught right away the tricks he did, you know, how he avoided a block. And she said, I, you know, I notice you you shifted your head there on that sound. Oh boy, she would have me figured yeah. out pretty quick. Can you go back to that sound and and hold your stutter? And and he did it. I mean, which I mean, we all applauded him immensely because how brave to get on with a group of speech therapists and do some live therapy. Um, but that was really amazing. Um, so that was the element of working on the that B, the behavior, the stutter. And then um Another woman who was there shared her story of how 
she always avoided talking at the dry cleaners that she would point and just at all, you know, she just didn't want to talk when she went to the dry cleaners. So one of her assignments for arts therapy was to approach that situation instead of avoiding it. Um, and she talks about the first time she actually went in and spoke at the dry cleaners and how afterwards she went to her car and just cried in relief. Um, and, and part of the art therapy is that the clients get one-on-one -on -one therapy, but also they're constantly engaged in a group of other people who are along different points in their journey with the therapy. Um, so it's really, it's really about being comfortable with disfluency, um, talking more about the quality of the disfluency than how many disfluencies there are, um, and letting go of control, disclosing stuttering, being comfortable with stuttering. Um, and so you're changing speech patterns and also um, the arts therapy is working a lot on your, your identity and your acceptance as a person who stutters. So, and it's interesting because when I listen to the podcast, a lot of what you say about what you do, even the fact that you run this podcast, to me, it always feels like you are doing a lot of arts therapy on your own. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you're I'm, approaching. Yeah. You're not yeah, avoiding. I, I, I don't know where I am in the, um, in the circle of, of, uh, full acceptance, but in, in, um, full disclosure, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a fully accepting of being a person who stutters and ha has a history of it, but I'm, I, I am not a, I'm not, a, I'm not accepting of, of, uh, the open stutter yet. Mm -hmm. I, I do believe I'm making some progress though. Yeah. 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 Still for me, um, it, it represents, um, represents decades of, of what I didn't want to do. So yeah. I probably shouldn't be too hard on myself to expect that I'm going to immediately be comfortable with the sound of a stutter. Yeah. But yeah. I, I spend a lot of time managing um, mm -hmm. and mostly manage it well through, through a lot of positive visualization mm -hmm. and, and focusing on, on the content too, focusing mm -hmm. on what I want to say. Yeah. And not, whenever I focus on, oh no, my gun is stutter. I'm going to probably stutter. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I don't think about when I think about like the true value of the words that I want to say, yeah, then then I might not even notice that I stuttered, but I probably did, but it, I don't even notice it. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. So when you're when you're not thinking about it as much, yeah. then you feel more freedom. When I get like in the moment, and I'm just driving in in a conversation like this, mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? That it's it's not about the stutter; it's about the conversation and just yeah. digging the conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, I mean, that's, that's getting out of the, that's getting off the uh, sidelines and being yeah. in the game, yeah. um, whatever yeah. the game is. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and that is, you know, I think that is the, the primary goal is to, like you said, get off the sidelines. And I think, you know, it's, it's so interesting for me to hear you talk about that. Um, just how the, the moment of stuttering is still the challenge to approach. But yeah. you know the other areas, self acceptance, identity, um, yeah. solid. <laughs> yeah, but how habitual it is to avoid the moment of stuttering. The, right, whatever that, course I do. That's yeah. such a that's such yeah. a challenge. Yeah. yeah, I you know I no longer have the um, 
you know, self-talk about uh, a lot about, you know, what's it going to be like when I order something? Should I even do it? Should I not? Like this, this whole avoidance topic begins with self-talk way beforehand or listening yeah. to and like the dialogue that goes on in, in your head. So mm -hmm. with this ART, I guess the fact that it's a group therapy, there's some accountability to yeah. each other um, that you're not just having a conversation with yourself. You're agreeing with a group of people that I'm going to do this. Yes. Right. Absolutely. That you set a goal, you know, part of the therapy is every week you set a goal, a very tangible goal. I'm going to talk to the dry cleaner. I'm going to say the topping I want on the pizza, uh, you know, whatever the goal might be, I'm going to voluntary stutter. I'm going to open stutter with this person or whatever the goal is. And then, yeah, you're going back to the group to talk about if you did it. And let's get some well. victories. Let's get some exactly. victories. Because yes. every time you avoid, it's a loss. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, so what about the uh, trauma that happens in in an art situation? So you, you're doing ART and let's say it goes really bad. Mm -hmm. How do you hit? Because we all have trauma as, yeah. as people who stutter. We can all uh, reflect upon stories mm -hmm. that were just brutal, that can get emotional. Mm -hmm. So how do you, I'm sure you've had some of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like we're, I work a lot with preschoolers and school age and teenagers who I don't feel like I've had as much of that discussion of trauma as adults might have, because I don't work with adults. Um, but I think that, I think talking about those experiences in a safe space and having a speech therapist that you trust, who's, who's listening and tuned into mm. you. I think that that, that is a comfort. And I think the group, we don't run groups and I don't run groups here at CHOP, except for when we do the, the camps. Um, but the, that arts therapy, I think that is part of the support of the group is that. I, I, I think I, I just had a breakthrough understanding arts. I think mm -hmm. trauma uh, really comes from how we think and feel about it. Mm -hmm. the, the the ultimate shame of it. That's mm -hmm. the that that sticks with us. And when you're in group therapy, um, that that supportive nature mm -hmm. is, uh, is is key. In the yeah. absence of that, that's when trauma sets in. When you feel alone and mm -hmm. different and all those things, uh, yeah. it's, it's trauma. You know, for years I couldn't read out loud, um, even as an adult. Now I actually look for those opportunities to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but as a kid, I could um, even as a young adult because of because of English class, seventh grade. Mm -hmm. uh, I you know I won't even go back over what happened. It was, yeah. it was terrible. So now I look to read poems, and I and I I look for it because the only way out mm -hmm. is through it. But so because yes. that was trauma. Mm -hmm. that happened back that stuck with me for years yeah. yeah yeah and I think you know I I did recently have you know you just reminded me I had a 16 year old that I was working with who she did talk to me about how she had to read out loud in class and um she got a little stuck and someone in the class laughed a little bit and she said she she felt like crying but she didn't but she felt like crying um and when she told me, I just felt like, thank you for telling me. Thank you for trusting me with that yeah. moment. And yeah. I hope that, I hope and think that was 
therapeutic and relieving for her to just say that, you know, to be able to have a space to say it and then talk about, okay, so next time you have the opportunity to read out loud, what's, what's it going to be like? How are you going to get through that? Um, so. And, and that's, yeah. that's a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of affirmations, a lot of, a lot of mindfulness, a lot of really so much of this therapy is, is psychological. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Yeah. I said it's a, it's a disorder that is exacerbated by anxiety. And mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's what's happening here. Tell us about the intensive training you did in Iowa. So, oh, that, that feels like such a long time ago. Um, it was amazing. So it was two weeks. It was a two week intensive training. Uh, the Starting Foundation of America sponsors the training. Um, it was in Iowa and Trish, Trish Zabrowski um, and Tony Selick led the training. And it was just a, you know, really a crash course in everything about stuttering. They did a unit on preschoolers, school-age children, teenagers, adults. Um, and they just go, they went through all the theories behind different kinds of stuttering therapies. Um, and we all got this ginormous binder that was like my, my Bible. Every time I had a new child come in, I would look to the binder and look up the suggestions from that training. Um, and um, I remember Trish, one of the things, you know, she, she talked a lot about how, how you talk to parents. And one of the examples she gave that always stuck with me was that some kids who stutter, the parents feel like they stutter so much more at home and the school doesn't hear the stutter. And Trish said, well, well, number one, for some kids, it's because they're not talking in school. So the best way to not stutter is to not talk, right? So, but she said that sometimes she thinks of stuttering as like um, the bikini. Like when you're at the beach in your bikini, you suck in and you stand up straight and you hold yourself together. But if you're at home with your family in your pajamas, you're not sucking in, you're not standing <laughs> up straight, you just let it out. So um, that always stuck with me. And she had a lot of, you know, pieces of advice. And if I went back in that binder, I sh I'm sure I have them all scribbled in my handwriting, but that one I thought was really a, a good, um, analogy and, and kind of like what we've been talking about that, you know, not for everyone, but for some people who stutter, they have their ways of holding it in. Um, but that's, that's not really, that's not how you measure severity. Um, mm. So you, you must so, feel yeah. way more comfortable now than you did years ago trying to help someone who stutters because it's so complicated. Oh, it's so complicated. And, uh, you know, when I was early in my career, I felt similar to, I think, what I know parents feel now is I also felt the pressure to fix it. I felt like this mm -hmm. is my job. I have I have to fix this. I have to make the stuttering go away. I have to get fluency. Um, and now I feel very differently that I, I know that that's what the kids want. And I know that's what the parents want. And it's part of the therapy. And sometimes I talk about, you know, getting, getting a back door to that, that some of the things we're going to do in therapy will feel 
different than direct fluency, but my goal is that it's successful communication and getting the back door into fluency, but um, that that's not the only goal. We're not chasing fluency. And um, yeah, I feel very chasing differently. Fluency now. is a tough race. Chasing yeah. fluency is tough. Yeah. 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 Chasing, and, getting, getting the mindset at peace, getting the mind at peace is where, is where it's got to start. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. The, and there was something I thought of, you know, it's been so long since I've thought of that training in Iowa where, um, you know, they had, there's a man named Bill Murphy who kind of curated the, um, an amazing outline of how to do a classroom presentation to teach other people about your stutter. And he came and talked to us um, all about doing a classroom presentation on stuttering. And he's a, he was really animated and great and just talked about the importance of kids teaching their classmates about stuttering. Um, and that was that was another another element of that training that was really excellent. People came from all over the world for this two weeks. But one thing that occurred to me when I was listening to your podcast actually was my we had we stayed in dorms. And so we each had a dorm room with a roommate. And my roommate for those two weeks was a woman who was also a speech therapist. And I didn't know much about her. But at one point in the um, in the two weeks, we all had to go around and share, why are you here? What are you hoping to learn? Um, and she actually shared that um, she had recently lost her son to cancer, four years old. Hmm. And she, oh, was very she was very emotional. And she just talked about how the, the training and the two weeks and, and, and shifting her focus to learning more about stuttering was was helping her with her grief in some way. Um, and at the time I remember feeling, you know, I, I was, I didn't have children yet. I was very young. Um, but when I listened to your podcast, I thought, oh, you talk so much about the humanity of the experience of stuttering. And it kind of like, that was like a light bulb moment for me where I was like, oh, for her, that learning about stuttering and being there for those two weeks, um, it helped her and mm. it was um I, I just thought that was that was one of the things about the training that you know shows the intensity of how mm. much they taught us and how much we learned in those in those two weeks every day all it, day you just, you just pointed out something about the podcast that I, I didn't realize that i really want to accomplish and i really would like speech therapists to know that um you can't you can't treat the speech without treating the, the person Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and you, know, you got to know what what's going on in, inside the mind all the thinking that's going on what's stopping them yeah uh, is that the the speech a lot of times seems to me to be like a symptom of yeah. stuff because as joe talks about the tip of the iceberg and so much of what's going on with that person is beneath and yeah um, and, and they're hiding it they, they, yeah. you just don't know the true you know my my uh, sister heard my podcast recently and she's like, Brian, I never knew you struggled that much. Mm -hmm. No idea the the impact was. That's because I was I kept it as quiet as I possibly could. Yeah. And my and my only exposure was being called out of class and being taught by a speech therapist who had no idea what stuttering really was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that just probably exacerbated the situation, probably. Yeah. I I think so. I mean, I think um you know, you mentioned like what's, you know, must be so different now than when I first started. And 
Absolutely. Now I feel like in the most important thing to me when I'm working with someone who stutters is to know, know about them, like outside of the stuttering, what's, what's their favorite activity? Who's their best friend? What, what do they want to accomplish in the next month? What, you know, what's the bigger picture versus just the speech sample and, and getting that fluency. And I think that's a huge part of it. And I think the the tendency to chase fluency, I think it, it can do it can do harm if that's the oh. only element of the therapy because it's it's sending me, sending a message. Give me a good title for this podcast. Hmm. Something about don't 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 chase fluency. Something yeah. in that area. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 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 dream with me now a little bit, and mm-hmm. and let's go uh, twenty years down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, help help me establish a vision for mm-hmm. what's going on in 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 schools and mm-hmm. clinics and uh, and with parents that has normalized stuttering. Yeah. So uh, I think I think the biggest piece is community involvement. I think that being involved with a community of people who stutter, which which does require that the child and the family are far, far enough along, they have some degree of acceptance, right? Um, but I think the importance and the value of connecting with some kind of a support group and being engaged with other people who stutter, I, I, I think and I hope that that is a much bigger part of everyone's therapy, everyone's approach to stuttering that um, in addition to IEPs and short-term goals and speech therapy, there's engagement with the stuttering community for support. Um, and friends is one of those outlets. I think, you know, I, I would love everyone who stutters to go to a friends conference and tell us a little bit about friends. Yeah. Tell uh, us a little bit about oh, friends. okay. I'll tell you a little about friends and then I'll go back to that. Cause I have another yeah. thought for 20 years from now, but, um, so friends is an organization, um, for young people who stutter and their families and for SLPs. And they just had their 20th, um, their 20th year, I think. So I think they've been around for 20 years and they have an annual conference every year where it's kids and their families and it's a whole weekend. They have keynote speakers, adult panels, and the whole weekend is different workshops. Sometimes the kids are together, the teens are together, the adults are together, the SLPs are together. Sometimes everyone's all together in the room. Um, and you know that example I gave before of the children who, who grade the adults on how they're stuttering, before they get to that point, they've had a workshop where just the kids practice voluntary stuttering with each other and learn mm. about the value of it. So, um, and it's just, uh, it's a beautiful, amazing community. And they're this year when I went, there were some parents there who were there, their kids weren't even there. They just said that their kids grew up going to friends every year and their kids don't always wanna go, but the parents still go to connect and feel supported in the community. Um, and, And the kids too, some of the kids that have been going there since they were 10, now they're in college and they go there and they see their best friends they made at these friends conferences and that's pretty awesome the, the theme this year was making friends with your stutter so 
um, that was talked about a lot. But the but the organization really is for um, connecting people who stutter with each other to have an environment where stuttering is accepted and applauded. And um, this year at the conference, there were like 200 people and about 40 of those were speech therapists. And some of the adults who stutter there kind of commented like, where are the speech therapists? Why are they are only 40 here? Like here we have the most, some of the most influential adults and speakers who are sharing their experiences and you know, some of them felt a little disappointed there weren't more speech therapists there. Um, mm. So that that was very interesting. So, so, so now let's go back to the vision for 20 years down the road. Uh, yeah. You would see a lot more speech therapists at conference. Like that. I, yes, I would hope so. Yes, yeah. I would hope so. And and more more kids and families and everything. And what else would you see in 20 years? So I, I think I had this thought, um, you know, I think one of the things that I think is happening now that is positive is the, is the media attention. You know, we have um, John Hedrickson, who's been featured in the media, and I know you've talked about him on the podcast. I know you loved his book as much as I did. Um, and um, he also did that opinion piece in the New York Times about the listener, really. And so part of my thought is, well, can we focus a lot on self-advocacy and education so yeah. that the weight is not all on the person who stutters, that the listener is carrying some of that to be patient and um, to, to be careful of the message you send with calm down, slow down, that, you know, that, that the listeners kind of carry some of the responsibility of that communication dynamic. And, Even and, when you and, said those words, calm down, slow down, I, I had a visceral reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I always, you know what I always say to parents of preschoolers, I try and say, because I don't want to make them feel guilty. You know, that is sure. the most common thing. Almost every parent I see of a preschooler who stutters, when I say, what do you do when they're having difficulties? Oh, I tell them to calm down. I tell them to You're like, no, down. no, no. And I feel like put on the brakes. But I also, you know, that parent has the best of intention in the moment. And so yeah. I'll say to them, you know, whatever urge you have, I I understand why you have that urge, but you have to do it. You have to slow down. You have to calm down. Don't tell the kid to do it. You can exude less time pressure in your response. Don't yeah. tell your child to do it. Um, and I think that, I think that's, I hope that that's helpful for parents and then, you know, again, kind of putting it back as the listener to stay in that moment with your child and you don't have to comment at all. You don't have to say anything. They got through it. Most parents of preschoolers, when I ask the question, how does this, how does the stuttering impact them? Oh, it doesn't. You, it doesn't impact them at all. They don't care. They, they're fine. They talk, talk, you know, this, we're talking preschoolers who haven't yet developed some of the avoidance patterns but and they haven't had now, the trauma. But they're now projecting fear over what that that child's going to experience in school. Yeah. So they're they're project they're all they have all kinds of anxiety because the worst thing for a parent is to see your child suffer. Yeah. That's just well, you know that is a oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean I, this, 
at Friends this year, um, John Hendrickson was talking about that a lot and how to respond to someone who, you know, is is struggling with something. And as he was talking, I thought, oh gosh, some of what he's described, my my kids don't stutter, but every child has something they're struggling with. And Holy. Um, as he was talking, I thought, oh gosh, I think sometimes I project on my kids. I better be careful and heed my own advice, <laughs> you know. Um, well, there's a lot of things that that you said that applies to to all life, you know, meet yeah. people where they are, even how I treat employees, know the whole employee. Don't just know their their job position. Like, who are they? What matters to them? Where do they want to go? Who am I dealing with here? We're dealing with human yeah. beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's when you can start to get breakthroughs in all kinds of ways. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I want to um, end by asking you a few questions uh, about messages you want to give uh, kids and young adults at different ages. I, I ask this a lot. It, if the person stutters, I typically say, if you could go back, what would you tell your eighth grade self, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't stutter, but uh, you deal with a lot of people who do. Mm -hmm. So what, what I, I'm going to actually start with the uh, high schooler mm -hmm. who is just in this really weird place of self-discovery, self unsure about going to college mm -hmm. for all kinds of reasons. What do you want to tell that that high schooler about about their their future in college? Mm -hmm. These questions, these last the, these questions are really tough to you know to tackle in general. Um, but I think that what I really would want to tell someone going into college is to focus on the strengths that they have in speaking and in engaging with other people. Um, you've talked a lot on the podcast about this and in the stuttering community, I feel like it's a well-known idea that people who stutter have like, I think you said like a superpower, a lens of yeah. empathy and yeah. ability to connect with people yeah. in a way that is really special. And so I think I would want the person going into college to, to know that and own that and use that as a strength. That's really great point. I, I've never actually um, been able to integrate that into this answer you just gave was was brilliant in that focus on what's left in, mm -hmm. not focus on what's left out. And yeah, yeah. so much emphasis on, on uh, again, who you are as a person that is special mm -hmm. and is strong and yes. is good and it's going to change things, change the yeah. world. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the other thing that sort of near and dear to me is this um, college graduate mm -hmm. who is, you know, graduated and is um, daunted by the the thought of interviews and, mm -hmm. and presentations at work or, you know, whatever. Uh, so they may not actually uh, pursue what they, what they think they could because they think yeah. they can, you know. Yeah. What do you want to say to them? I think, I think the biggest thing is just, um, I want them to share their story. I want them to feel like they, their experiences have so much value and connecting um, with other people. I think connecting with other people who stutter to hear their stories and learn their stories and tell your own is I think that's really important for someone entering the 
adult. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. And, you know, and I think, you know, for, for interviews, I feel like just some of what you were saying before, um, focus on the content of what you're going to say. If you're comfortable right up front, tell the person you're talking to that you stutter. Yeah. I always always say, get the in the ways out of the way. Yeah. And and, and now we can move forward. I love that. Oh, I love that. Get the in the ways out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's just looming. It's there. It's it's going to mm-hmm. stop everything. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that would be a big one. Is just put it out there so you don't have to. I mean, it's easier said than done. And I know it's not quite so simple as as soon as you put it out there, you don't have to hide it anymore. But yeah. um, that if you do put it out there and and share who you are um, yeah. and your experiences and really that, you know, I think. We have now so many examples of highly, highly successful people who also happen to stutter that mm. I would want them to know about and hear from. And I would tell them to come and listen to this podcast. That's great. That's great, Sarah. Thanks. And tell them to attend uh, the October 5th uh, springboard workshop. Uh, so I'm, I'm getting a cadence now of a quarterly workshop. Yeah. Uh, so this one is Thursday, October 5th at my office is in Ardmore from, uh, it's, it's a three-hour workshop starting at 4.30. So please uh, contact us at um, info at nolansf.com. And uh, we'll be glad to, I'm sorry, .org. And we'll yeah. be glad to get back to you. Yeah, I saw that. I would love to be there also. I saw that it's coming up. I think you you're know, doing just the most unbelievable, amazing things to add to the you know, the availability for people to engage and, um, and hear it's, stories and share stories. You know, what's daunting, Sarah, there's so much more to do. <laughs> yeah. There's so much more. And some of it, some of it is work and some of it is courage. Yeah. I mean, both is work, but some of it is, you know, time and some of it is, um, lifting any self-limiting uh, beliefs mm-hmm. and, um, get, getting more people involved. So this, 20-year vision mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of self-advocacy and more speech therapists attending and yes. and, and arts therapy uh, is is changing and, and normalizing what it means to be a person who stutters so they don't feel as alone. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you said it exactly as what I think is should be in the next 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, you've been awesome. I'm I, I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm I'm so grateful to you. You are. It's so lovely to talk to you. You have the most unbelievable insights and ways of sharing your thoughts and reflections. Just, I just love it. It's a it's a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much for having me. Well, we'll we'll have you back again next time. We'll we'll talk a little bit about, about Joe Donner and some of the troubles he's causing. <laughs> Oh gosh, Joe Donaher. He's a savant. He's, He's unbelievable. Fun. He's fun. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brad. Nolan Stuttering Foundations, or NSF's primary purpose is to bring young people who stutter together and help them become the best versions of themselves. We do this through programming design to help them share 
and navigate the unique communication and psychological challenge they experience. NSF helps prepare young people to take the next step in their lives, whether it's high school, college, or, or, or your, your career. For ideas and, and contributions to the podcast, contact us at info at nolansf.org.